This podcast was recorded at 10.30 Jakarta time on 23 June. Things may have changed by the time you hear this. Enjoy the show. He's Kevin O'Rourke of the Reformasi Weekly Newsletter. And that is the indomitable Jeff Hutton from the Straits Times. This is Reformasi Dispatch. On today's program, BDIP's Raucous Rockernas, a kinder, gentler KUHP, may be in the offing and might, just might, pass into law this time. Later in the pod, Kevin and I will speak with Ukraine's ambassador to Indonesia, Vasil Hamianen. We'll ask him about how Indonesians here see the war and what he hopes President Joko Widodo will take away from his visit next week. But first... President Joko Widodo made international headlines this week when it emerged that he will meet with Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky and Russia's President Vladimir Putin. The trip, slated at the end of the month after attending the G7 meeting in Germany, will be the first such foray by an Asian leader. His goal, not only to get both sides talking and to end the fighting, but to coax Russia into ending its blockade of Ukrainian ports, thereby allowing the export of the country's wheat. Kevin, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of a better guy for the job. Cometh the hour, cometh the man? What do you think? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, he's uh, not really uh, groomed in the ways of international diplomacy. Uh, but I take your point. He's uh, somebody who brings a lot of credibility as a democratically elected leader uh, of uh, the country hosting the G20 this year. And uh, I'm often critical of Joko Widodo because he hasn't really done a whole lot to support and uh, promote democracy during his uh, tenure or cleaner governance for that matter. But still, despite that, he comes from ordinary origins. He's a regular person, basically. And so I'm I'm glad that he's going to be making this trip because I think he's going to see things for himself and he's going to learn a lot about the, the real situation and he'll come away with a much better perspective. Um, and that should be a constructive process for for him, uh, at least. Huh. Not alone, oh, so you think it might be like a, a, a bit of a, a chance? Well, he might get a little bit of an education of what's really happening. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that he, uh, he should already be, uh, educated, but, you know, Indonesia is still portraying this conflict as if it's a, uh, a two-sided or multi-sided affair when it really is not, uh, <laughs> the idea that NATO is forcing Ukraine to join NATO is preposterous. So this is a, a unilateral invasion and it's an egregious infraction of, uh, the rule of law and the international world order. And critics also always bring up uh, Iraq and they say, well, uh, the U.S. invaded Iraq unilaterally. And uh, that's absolutely correct. And it and doesn't it went make so correct well. Putin does it. <laughs> yeah, still, still. Uh, it went so, so well. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think that um, this is a, I don't, I don't think that Widodo can uh, visit uh, Putin in the Kremlin and then move over to Kiev and visit Zelensky and then come away thinking that this is a balanced two-sided affair where both sides have legitimate grievances. I don't, I don't think that's possible. So, so therefore, this, it's got to shape Indonesia's stance on the matter and at the end of this process, I think. And, and that will make things interesting, I think, for the G20. And at the, I mean, he has a specific purpose so he, he has a, he has a mission in mind and it's to 
to get the wheat flowing. Inflation is on the march. And as one of the big presidents of a, of a big non-aligned country, he, he does come with a credible message. And I think he gets along with, with Vladimir Putin well enough. I think Putin likes him and will listen to him. If he's the carrier of the message that, look, whatever your differences with NATO may be, you're hurting, you're hurting us. Yeah. I wonder if that would cut some ice. Yeah, I don't see Widodo coming away with uh, any large quantities of grain from Ukraine, ultimately, uh, because uh, Putin would not accede to that without making demands for concessions that Widodo could not fulfill and that the, the rest of the world will not fulfill. Putin would demand a lifting of sanctions on the Russian economy, um, and, and that's uh, highly unlikely. So. Yeah, still, it's it's good to yeah, any diplomacy is worthwhile diplomacy. What's what's your uh, sense of Chokowi being a naval messenger? Right? He he doesn't love 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 diplomacy. If, if he he really would much rather stay home um, and open toll roads, for example. What, does he even want to be doing this? Do you think? Uh, no, I would doubt it. So I find it surprising that he is doing it. Maybe it's uh, a realization that there's a need to take a, pre- a preemptive step to avert disaster at the November G20 summit, as the, that that entire plan could fall apart if uh, Putin insists on attending in person without this uh, conflict resolved by then. So maybe this reflects really uh, intense international pressure from the West on, uh, and, and also uh, countries like Japan and Korea on Widodo to do something in his role as G20 president. Uh, hard to say. Uh, it is surprising, though. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an unexpected development for sure. But he was already going to be going to the G7 uh, summit uh, because he is the, his country, Indonesia, as the chair for the G20. So that was already on the books. But I can't imagine, um, this does have all the hallmarks of something playing out well in domestic media. It, it feels to me like Indonesia taking a role on the international stage that it really should. It's, and frankly, has been waiting for Indonesia for quite some time as the biggest Muslim-majority country, as a democratic uh, uh a democratic country um, as a as a big Asian economy, it has been under it's been punching under its weight. A chance for it to maybe stretch its legs. Yeah, it's got to be a constructive member of the international community. The world is a small place nowadays, and Indonesia uh, every year becomes a bigger country uh, in terms of uh, <laughs> population and economy. And it needs to contribute to the community. It needs to pitch in. Uh, it, it can no longer uh, portray itself as a, a needy, a weak uh, component that um, deserves uh, continual supplies of aid and support and help from, from others. Uh, Indonesia has long been able uh, to, to, to stand on its own and um, contribute. And so, so that, that's what's happening right now. Hopefully, um, we'll, we'll see what the video actually does when he's in uh, Moscow and Kiev. But uh, yeah, I'm hopeful that some, some good will come of this. Yeah, well, it, it feels like um, Indonesia is at a position now because it, it is hungry for foreign investment and has been making an awful lot of uh, um, 
domestic reforms in order to attract it. And it's on the cusp of breaking into new industries like uh, battery and, and electric vehicles. It, it has to make its views known uh, about what sort of changes it needs in the international, uh, you know, international agreements, whether it's on, on, on trade, whether it's on taxes. Is there something specific that it needs to influence? What, what, what sort of, and to what does it need to bring to bear its weight? Oh, well, uh, personally, I think it's climate change. Uh, as uh, the world's largest archipelago, it's uh, particularly vulnerable to rising sea levels. Uh, but um, apart from that, yeah, you know, there's uh, economic issues, um, the need for continued stability internationally so that the investment that Indonesia needs to develop and, and generate jobs can continue to flow. Yeah, the the whole problem here, I think, is conditions in the U.S. You know, I think Indonesia could be able to move more adroitly if it could be more confident of continued support from the world's um, military superpower in the future. But the 2024 U.S. election with the prospect of Donald Trump returning to power could spell catastrophe for conditions in Asia. And therefore, Indonesia needs to be wary of uh, its relations with China. So it'll be interesting whether this uh, visit to Moscow and Kiev produces uh, uh, messages that are somewhat still in tune with those coming from Beijing about the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, or whether there's some daylight that begins to emerge between the uh, stance of Beijing and Widodo's messaging. Well, yeah. And if uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, translates into more expensive instant noodles, watch out. Hey, podcast listeners, Jeff here again. For more analysis like this on Indonesian politics, policy, and economics, try a subscription of the Reformasi Weekly Newsletter. Go to reformasi.info for your free one-month trial. This week, the Indonesian Democratic Party of Struggle, or the PDIP, held its Rakernas, its gathering of local party chapters, to draw up a list of potential nominees for president. NASDAQ had theirs last week. Anis Baswedan, the governor of Jakarta, Ganja Pranowo, governor of Central Java, and Arik Torhir, the minister of state-owned enterprises, made the list. Now, you'd think that after more than a year of denigrating Ganjar, PDIP would be loath to put him on the list. You might be wrong. There's been ructions. Secretary General Hasso Cristianto warned off rival parties from poaching the party's talent, saying Indonesian politics isn't soccer, which is true. Politics is far more interesting. Uh, so Ganjar <laughs> is in with a chance, do you think? I hate soccer. I really do. I don't see the Anyway. <laughs> Contrary with a chance. <laughs> yeah. You can make hockey analogies, but yeah, the problem is that no one's going to understand <laughs> them. But <laughs> Far more interesting than soccer. <laughs> How to put the puck in the net, eh? Uh, that's the, that's the Careful. Question. I'll drift it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you make us well, up. It's not Fargo. <laughs> That's the best I can do. <laughs> okay, but PDRP uh, warming to Ganjar. Uh, yeah, well, well, yeah, not, yeah. It's 
Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness happening, a lot of acrimony in PDIP, PDIP acrimony. Uh, mm. Wait, we've got it. Wait, I, I think we've got a, maybe we have an episode title. Uh, no, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, that's <laughs> serviceable. Yeah. Um, yeah, Megawati really conveyed some venom in her remarks to the Rakanas with the president, a PDIP member in the audience, um, listening dutifully to her and uh, PDIP ministers and uh, current and former regional heads, including Ganjar, who was there in the room too. And she, uh, this was uh, on the 21 June. Yeah, she, yeah the smart keyboard. And, <laughs> yeah, and she just uh, lit into unnamed cadres who have feet in two camps or three camps and who undertake political maneuvers. And she said, uh, get out of the party uh, before I throw you out. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, very awkward right now. Yeah, Megawati's trying to figure out how to deal with Ganjar. Meanwhile, Ganjar is trying to figure out uh, what he should do. And uh, all the other parties are sitting back watching how things play out before anybody takes a step. But uh, what you referenced is the, the NASDEM Rakernas, uh late last week in mid-June, Surya Paulo's party, the National Democrat Party. They did something significant, which was... Uh, officially named Ganjar as a potential presidential candidate. So that's the first time that uh, an official political entity, in this case, a party, uh, formally named his name uh, in, in association with the nomination for high office. So that sort of changed the tenor of everything. It was a close second, too, right after Hennings. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the party is, uh, has been leaning towards uh, Basweden for some time, but uh, it, this recognized outcome for NASDEM showed that Ganjar is still a possibility for them. That, I think, in part reflects the fact that an alliance to uh, pass the nominating threshold for Beswedan is going to be a little bit tricky. It uh, looks like the only way it will happen is if uh, the Islamic PKS joins, and that's sort of a death knell for a uh, ticket because then it's going to brand Beswedan as the uh, religiously conservative candidate uh, rather than uh, be, enabling him to portray himself as a moderate, so they don't they don't want that. But there's not enough parties to go around, so Basweden's prospects for a, uh, a nomination for moderate parties are up in the air, and therefore Nasdem is considering Ganjar still at this stage. Still a long way to go until the nomination deadline in October 2023. It's uh, well over a year away, but there's been a huge amount of progress just in the past two weeks. It's like a soccer game, but <laughs> the length of, length of an average soccer game, a year and a half. So anyway, but uh, we haven't had any results yet from uh, the PDIP's Rakarnas. I mean, is there any hope in hell that Ganjar would would rank in the top three? Wouldn't it be Puan, Puan, Puan? I think so, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, Megawati is, uh, is, is budging uh, on the issue of uh, accommodating Ganjar. Uh, and I think that's, ref that's reflective. That's reflected in the latest comments from Hasto, uh, who uh, was asked by reporters about Ganjar's future, and Hasto said that, uh, "Well, that's up to uh, uh, them. You know, PDIP cadres are free to determine whether they want to be strong and work for the greater good of the party, 
or just be driven by their own individual ambitions. That's up to them. They can make that choice. That's what he said. So it's kind of uh, shows that there's uh, really still a very dim view of Ganjar. Um, so it's a matter of uh, selfishly want to win the next election. No, no, winning the next election. That's, that's not the name of the game. The name of the game is uh, preserving Megawati's grip on the party. Um, and, uh-huh. and that of her daughter Puan, and they feel that Ganjar would usurp them somehow. Um, so the, each one is trying to find a way to disassociate or disentangle uh, themselves from the other. Uh, but um, there, there's no clear exit strategy for either yet. But, is, I mean, is there a scenario, though, where uh, the heads of the regional chapters all get together and uh, come up with a list that includes uh, Ganjar? I mean, even one where, where he Gondor tops the list over Puan. What what would happen in that case? Or your meeting uh, they, they would get sacked. <laughs> That's what oh, always it's not, it's not a secret vote. I thought it was oh no, no. Um, not really. No, nothing secret in PDAP. No. Um it's uh or there's, Indonesia there's, in general. <laughs> there's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh Megawati uh, really uh, runs the party with an iron fist for sure. Right. So basically, if you know what's good for you, you'll tow the party line. Um, but, you know, it, as the months, as the weeks turn into months and as the, you know, the deadline gets closer, that will start, you know, focusing minds. Chance of a rift. Is it, should we be watching for a, some sort of rift occurring in the party? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Megawati really uh, you know, doesn't uh, tolerate any dissent uh, or deviation whatsoever from anybody in the ranks of the party. Uh, but even the most uh, strict type of ruler like that needs to be at least somewhat wary of uh, sentiment and morale and uh, her own image. So she's uh, wary that sacking Ganjar without reason is going to be unseemly for her. So she's uh, uh, asking, <laughs> begging, or pleading with him to resign so that then she can maintain the upper hand and portray him as having been unfaithful and undependable. Uh, and but, he's uh, holding her close. Yeah, he's well aware in of a, this. So uh, he's, in a warm uh, embrace. Yeah, he's being very careful not to violate any rules, and um, he's making life difficult for her, actually. Uh, but I think he would like to be free of the party, especially now that he oh, appears yeah. to have alternatives available. Yeah, especially the gold car led KIB. But um, yeah, he needs to have a excuse for quitting the party if that's what he's going to do, and he, there needs to be some reason or event that uh, you know, forces his hand, as it were. Now remind yet. us the KIB. That's a gold car. P- yeah, so a B uh, or was a PPP uh, yeah, yeah. union, um, and uh, that was about creating this big tent to go find a a nominee, potentially Gunjar. Was that that was a couple weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Yeah. And so playing this out, then what might a potential uh, resolution to this be? Uh, you know. There's no hope in hell of getting the nomination PDIP. Um, what would be the best way if you were to wave a magic wand to make the jump in a way that didn't seem too calculated? It seemed like a natural evolution called by the people to serve. 
Um, yeah, I think for Gensra to wait a little longer and um, uh, let PDIP suffer, uh, and meanwhile continue to benefit from these um, unjust and unfair attacks on him by the party, which just uh, has been generating public sympathy for him and generating headlines and great fodder for the press. Uh, that's still a beneficial dynamic for him. So there's, uh, he's, he's, uh, you could say he's sitting in the catbird seat, which is, uh, means you're safe and secure and looking down and, and uh, have, feeling no is that worries. Is an expression, catbird? Yeah, yeah singing in a catbird seat. Sitting, I, sitting in a catbird seat, yeah. Sitting in a catbird. What's, what's a catbird? Catbird is a bird in the, uh, in the south of the U.S., which uh, sits there and just... Uh, sings and laughs and doesn't seem to have any concerns. And so uh, anybody sitting in the catbird seat is uh, enjoying life. I'm going to come up with some hockey analogies just to annoy you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'll wait for your power play. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cut that bit. That all gets cut. <laughs> okay. Last up, KUHP. Um, the last we heard from the KUHP is the criminal code decades in the ma- making. Uh, it was this draconian thing that was going to ban all homos and maybe alcohol, but not. And it might actually be something uh, worthy of the 21st century. Right. Yeah. This is a, a giant compendium of punishments for uh, basic uh, assorted crimes, which originated 150 years ago in Holland and then was imported with you know, a few modifications along the way into the uh, colonies uh, a century ago and uh, updated um, uh, a little bit in the 1940s, but uh, not changed a whole lot since then. And uh, efforts, really to revise it, yeah, right. efforts to revise it started uh, in the 1960s and just... Uh, repeatedly failed because the thing is just so gigantic and uh, it, it uh, triggers too many uh, deep rooted sentiments about religion and sin and uh, the nature of justice. So uh, the latest episode was in 2019 when there were pretty severe violent riots, led especially by students right across the country when the Widodo administration attempted to pass a version that had some really draconian elements, like you mentioned. Um, a lot of the same figures have been involved in proposing a revision, especially for 14 of the most controversial points. And supposedly they have mitigated the uh, negative aspects somewhat, uh, softened it a little bit, but it's hard to know what's in it. They've not been very transparent. So there's been really widespread denunciations of the Widodo administration for not revealing what it's been working on to date. Uh, for their part, um, these officials, uh, like the, uh, the vice law minister, for example, claim that they have been sufficiently transparent. But in fact, it's, it's hard to know for sure. For example, uh, there's conflicting statements um, from some ministers uh, and, and some of the uh, officials working on the bill about what it contains. So, um, yeah, this uh, this could be a real win for the administration because now's the time to get this done because Widodo uh, <laughs> has support from 82 percent of parliament. And political Islam uh, writ large in Indonesia is arguably at its uh, weakest ebb uh, in in decades. And so uh, this would be the chance to complete something without uh, protests and obstructionism and uh, sort of. The sky falling in in general. Yeah. 
Uh, um, there's there's a there's an added urgency too because I think a big chunk of the sexual crimes bill relies on the passage of of uh, this criminal code, right? I, I think is it am I right in thinking that rape hasn't actually uh, been included in the sexual crimes bill because that's expected to be included in the KUHP. Yeah, it is in the existing uh, the existing criminal code. It's just that the uh, penalty is uh, um, not very severe and the uh, specificity of, of what constitutes rape is vague. Uh, so there's definitely a need for the Kauhape to strengthen and bolster and expand uh, that section. Um, and again, uh, we don't really know for sure uh, whether or how it does that. Right. And so is there, I, I mean, I, as you said, religious conservatism is, seems to be on the wane, at least for now. Joko Wee has never been more popular and he's at the twilight of his presidency or at least entering into it. Now is the time he's got a super, super duper parliamentary majority. If not now, it won't, can't see a better chance for it. Is there any way of, um, of, of what, what, what is your, what is your sense of it passing? Uh, I think it uh, will pass, but not next month as predicted. I think that there's going to be some uh, wrangling and reservations about multiple points. And uh, this could drag on uh, towards the end of the year. That's my prediction. Like a soccer game. Okay. Mm. Thank you very much. Call back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll leave it there. Coming up, Ambassador Vasil Hamianan of Ukraine. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for joining us today. We are with uh, the Ambassador from Ukraine to Indonesia, Vasil Hamianan. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, being with us. Um, President uh, Widodo has announced plans to visit uh, Kiev and Moscow next week. And uh, we thought we should uh, touch base with you and uh, try to get some insights about uh, what we might uh, anticipate. Uh, first, maybe just for starters, Mr. Ambassador, could you just very briefly uh, provide an overview of what's been happening in the war uh, in uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine just over the past couple of weeks, because events there have been moving pretty rapidly. Just sort of, in a nutshell, where do things stand at the moment? What's what's been happening there recently? Yeah, th thank you very much for for this invitation. I'm honored and uh, I'm pleased to meet such a, a famous famous people here. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, about the war. Uh, you see that there is plenty, actually plenty of material in, in, in news, including the Indonesian news, because we have uh, at least three reporters from Indonesia now in Ukraine. Uh, one from Tempo has already came, came back to Jakarta, so he spent a month something. And uh, now two gentlemen from uh, uh, Compass and a gentleman from uh, Agency France Press, well, but, but from Jakarta, right? Basically. So, mm -hmm. so we have uh, three. Uh, Indonesians uh, reporting on what's going on in Ukraine, basically. My perception, because I just read the news, we um, have the policies that everything related to the to the war, to the um, defensive operations and all that, military operations of Ukrainian army in it, is like uh, more or less uh, classified. And um, uh, thank I thank God it, it happens like this. So the less people know what we plan, the less people know what we have. 
And what we do, the better, because we still are outnumbered, if, I, if I'm using this word right. We are outnumbered, yeah, compared to Russia. So they have more, more weapons, like uh, on some, on some um, um, like, uh, uh, districts uh, of, of front line, it's like 1 to 10, maybe 1 to 20, in terms of uh, cannons and uh, ammunition and uh, tanks and all this stuff. Uh, but we uh, are seriously much more advanced in quality and in precision. Uh, thanks God and thanks uh, God save uh, Boris Johnson, God save the United States. I mean, this is something that we really can uh, uh, can um, uh, afford uh, because we, we strike less, but we strike more accurately. And uh, I received the latest reports like last three days, I would say, the attacks on the Snake Island, if you may remember this, 40 kilometers from the, from, it's the only island we have actually in, in Ukraine, unlike Indonesia, but uh, the uh, strike on uh, this island, which destroyed all the air defense system of Russians uh, based on this island. And then the destruction of the, uh, uh, not a, it's not a cutter, but a small boat delivering the, again, uh, and the air defense system to this meaning. This destruction is drowned. And the attacks on this, uh, you know, what uh, gas, um, how do you call this? Gas, not towers. You know, the, the drilling, yeah. the drilling towers. The facilities. Or, yeah, and the sh drilling facilities, yes, on the, the shelf of um, Black Sea, which were like, uh, uh, seized by Russian occupants eight years ago and used as intelligence uh, for intelligence purposes with radars and all that. They were destroyed, mm. uh, some of them, and still they're still in fire. And that means that uh, we have obtained something different from what we had before because otherwise wow. we would have done this like weeks ago. But this happened just three days ago. It means that something happens. Um, then the huge warehouse of ammunition was destroyed in. Uh, we call it Red Beam Krasny Luch, Charvoni Luch in, in Donbass. Huge. It's like uh, one of the biggest ones. And it was quite remote. Uh, so our cannons, even uh, M777 could not reach it. It was destroyed completely. And uh, this uh, gives gives me the, the reasons. And I, I, I listen to the bloggers like uh, talking, discussing that. Uh, it might be HIMARS or HIMARS, whatever you call them. Mars, yeah, sure. Mars, yes. So it might be this because it's like reaches are out of 70 kilometers or so. So basically, the situation is uh, very dangerous and uh, it's not critical, but it's very tense. A lot of people die still. A lot of people, uh, a lot of civilians are, are still remain on the occupied territories and they are suffering. Uh, it's, uh, well, when I see reports from Mariupol, when people use uh, rainwater to survive still. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, uh, this situation is stable, if I can use this word to this uh, situation, right? Uh, it's stable, but uh, it's stably tense and stably like destructive because uh, we are defending uh, the remains, the, the last district in Severodonetsk, if you know this name. It's, uh, it reminds me a bit of Mariupol. Uh, because it's a last stronghold, it's a we'll call it industrial zone of the city, and uh, they are resisting and they are like destroying a lot of uh, offenders. But the difference is, uh, Severodonetsk is not surrounded and uh, is not expected to be surrounded. So uh, this is the plan. If we feel that we are going to lose our people, I think that will order retreat. 
to Lisi Chan to somewhere else. So um, the situation in uh, uh, eastern part of Ukraine is still very tense. And uh, as for the southern, um, the, what I can receive is uh, we have liberated quite a lot of uh, small villages, like villages, small towns on that. So I'm still moving uh, southwards towards Kherson. Uh, but to seize Kherson, it is very important to have very precise weapons. The reason is that, uh, like uh, in Kherson, in Mariupol, what they do? They, like in Mariupol, like uh, having all the uh, residential destroyed, uh, nearly all, all the city, the whole city is destroyed. So they, they provide the people with the temporary, like, uh, what, tents or something, and put the uh, uh, cannons and tanks just next to it. And uh, telling like, okay, we will attack and uh, let, let's see how Ukrainians will attack their own citizens. So ba basically using the, the, the civilians as shields and uh, that's basically it, uh, what, what I can tell about, about. And we still are very, we're still aware of the uh, threat coming from Belarusian, Belarus direction, because as far as I know, the president of Belarus went to, to, to Russia uh, recently, and uh, the uh, purpose is to persuade him. I think uh, that he should uh, like uh, join the join the club of uh, potential uh, dead bodies um, of of <laughs> Russian army. Yeah, so uh, there will be a welcoming uh, welcoming uh, invitation. Uh, as we know, the Kazakhstan refused already, so rejected this oh. uh, nice nice um, in, in decent proposal. And Lukashenko, I'm not sure about him, but if he's like stupid enough to agree on that with that, I think that that will be a, the end of uh, Belarus, Belarusian dictatorship. Before I turn to uh, Widodo's planned trip, can can you brief us on what is involved with uh, resuming Ukraine's exports of grain? What would be required to get uh, the uh, massive amounts of grain that Ukraine still produces uh, out of the country to world markets? Because I ask because I think that's one of the drivers that's uh, prompting Widodo to plan this trip. Yeah, it's one of the drivers. Yes, uh, absolutely. Because uh, you know um, uh, we're all practical people, and uh, the people of the world are very practical, more practical than uh, well. Uh, so uh, first you think about the uh, the food, first you think about the uh, fridge, right? If it is full or not, and uh, about the price. That's why. That's why. Yes, when you uh, get feedback from the people, I'm not talking about Indonesia, right? I'm talking about the world, basically. So uh, when the people are happy and uh, well fed and uh, and uh, you know well off, they 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 would think about the principles, right? When you when you care about the uh, possible, like I don't know what protests when you can uh, anticipate the protests somewhere in Africa. So the, the people in those countries should uh, pay very close attention to tangible things, not, not, not only to the principles. So uh, that might be one of the basics. And uh, uh, what are the ways? Very simple. Uh, we cannot move out all the, uh, we cannot uh, ensure deliveries by land, by, by railway or by uh, trucks, lorries and everything, because it's too much. It's uh, like 20 million tons remained, and uh, we just calculated it will take like 10 years to 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 get it out uh, by the lorries and tracks, um, that sort of things. Uh, maybe I'm not, uh, but it's a long time, right? The only uh, feasible way is uh, uh, th through the seaports, and we used to have uh, three, basically three. Um, um, 
it's not the, not three ports. We have like around 15 ports, but well, uh, major part concentrated in Odessa and uh, nearby, uh, the uh, deepest. Uh, next one is Mykolaiv, which is uh, now free under control of Ukraine, but still, uh, when accessing, you know, when coming to the Black Sea, it will be under threat. And the third is Azov ports, Mariupol, Berdyansk, which are uh, under control of, uh, of aggressor. So uh, the ways of uh, um, resuming uh, deliveries of grains and everything else, uh, all civilian goods from Ukraine, will be only two. The one way is to destroy all the fleet of Russian Federation to prevent them striking the civilian ship, uh, civilian uh, boats and uh, and uh, ships. Why? Because what they normally do, they say, okay, you are free. You can just, you know, you can go. Uh, we, we, we never say. What then they do next? They will drown the ship and accuse NATO or Ukraine of doing this, like a provocation. That's what they always do and still doing now, like telling that, we Ukrainians destroyed Mariupol. Uh, that answers all the questions. It's, it, it was Ukrainians who destroyed Mariupol, right? Not Russians. That's what they say today and yesterday. Yeah. So uh, the the only way is to uh, like uh, uh, eliminate the threat, just not make them incapable of doing this physically, right? Second way is if the ships, uh, the the boats will be convoyed by very serious uh, uh, battleships of partners, like, I don't know, NATO NATO or something. The, the, this can be done. But the, uh, again, the dangerous point here is if we demine the, uh, if like, the Equatoria of uh, Odessa is demined, Russians can just rush into this, uh, into this like gap uh, to attack Odessa. And Odessa, we cannot lose Odessa. It's, uh, it will mean we lose the loss of everything because there will be the uh, Odessa, Mykolaiv, and all the south of Ukraine, and Moldova will be under threat, so we cannot afford this. So there should be a serious um, cover uh, from the partners. If the partners can patrol, can just uh, close this gap and uh, escort the uh, sea, that, that, uh, then it will work. But I don't, I don't, I don't see any news about the uh, agreements on that so far. Okay. Can yeah, I just jump in there? Um... Ambassador, thanks so much for, for joining us, uh, Jeff here. Um, of course, a, another way is potentially diplomacy. And I think that's probably what um, President Widodo has in mind. He probably would like to convey some sort of message or impress upon Vladimir Putin of the importance and the necessity of, of uh, lifting the blockade, however temporarily, for the purposes of exporting the wheat, as you say, um, what kind of message, what will you be showing President Widodo when, when he visits Kiev? I believe that's the chronology, Kiev, then Moscow. What, what would you be showing uh, President Widodo and what type of message do you want him to convey to uh, Vladimir Putin? Uh, well, I think and I hope that President Joko Widodo has planned a plan or the plan, even more. I would hope that he has plan A in the left pocket, plan B in the right pocket, and plan C in the in the internal pocket of somewhere. Uh, because when you uh, when you talk to Russians, uh, when when you talk to to Russian diplomats and uh, leaders and all that stuff, you cannot just go with one plan or one suggestion. 
it doesn't work like that because you uh, it's unpredictable what they're going to do uh, it, it's just unpredictable so to make it predictable you have to build up the uh, like algorithm plan a if not plan b if not plan c then if not just we just get disappointed and just you know just forget about all the hopes so i'm sure he must have some plans the purpose is one of i would not say that the only one purpose is to uh, ensure the yeah grains deliveries to to the world markets um this is only one of many tasks i think because the uh, as a regional leader yeah as a, a country that not 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 just positioning itself as a leader but is a leader of uh, the southeast asia and the leader in asean and the country that uh, has been trying to show the world that it is turning into the global force not just a regional i i traced g20 uh, progress and i think that yes indonesia is trying to turn into the global force and it is uh, been quite successful in that so as the leader leader should not only declare uh, his its leadership his leadership but also act as leader and this is uh, takes a lot of courage you know to to go and uh, to do what he decided to do like to visit ukraine and all that and uh, second one i think that is a lot of a lot of work has been done here and uh, a lot of uh, processes uh, altered and changed and uh, transformed so i think that the public opinion has altered and the public opinion now is very much on the side of ukraine no, not on not on the side of ukraine I, I don't demand anyone to be pro ukrainian right i just say be on the side of humanity be on the side uh, 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 on the other side uh, from the colonialism from the neo colonialist uh, endeavors of of someone be on the side of peace be on the side of development stability and just you know humanity in general terms so this um, this i think that's what the uh, general public in indonesia thinks and uh, Th- that that's why the decision to go to ukraine and then to moscow and to give it balance to whatever it is uh but okay there are small uh, targets small aims we are trying to achieve right but there is one move that can achieve all the goals all in once just in one in one go it is to persuade the guy to stop the war to persuade to persuade the guy to find ways to withdraw the troops it can be done in many many ways but what i feel is that half of the world is very much concerned of the face of putin okay let him save the face let him like not be humiliated la 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 blah 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 all that so everybody like in many countries many leaders say i we don't want russia to be humiliated we understand that if putin loses face then he will be like angry and maybe start a nuclear war and all that right so the personal visit the personal talk tete a tete like not like uh, through the telephone is the only way you can persuade a guy to do anything at all now if we pr- provide the i just is my imagination right if we provide uh, putin and his and his minions with uh, a, a nice picture of what's going on in reality in ukraine and that the russian army is losing everything and russian economy is going down to hell and uh, uh, ukraine is uh, obtaining more and more support so 
In Ukraine, there are only two scenarios. You are defeated or you withdraw your troops voluntarily and just stop the bloodshed. And what is very important, Putin cares about many things, I think, but his face about it, whatever it is. But the main thing he cares about is uh, the uh, support of of, uh, voters, support of of the public, Russia, support of the citizens, right? But having such a huge machine of propaganda, he would just withdraw the troops and declare, you know, guys, we have completed our mission. We've destroyed Nazis. We've uh, like denazified, de whatever, demilitarized, debanderized, whatever they, they want to say. We've achieved our goals. So we are victory uh, is ours, and we withdraw our troops. Uh, the whatever uh, you know, like East of Ukraine is liberated. Blah 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 blah. If he does this, this will save lives. This will save efforts, and this will save everything else. Uh, blockade, uh, you know, all these uh, uh, grains to the markets and uh, and all the rest of it. So we can plant crops and all that. But <clears throat> it's just my fantasy, okay? But this one will resolve everything else. If not, we should do it bit by bit. First, like, you know, grains and then how to plant the crops because it's now it's too late already. It's like June and uh, we failed to, to, to plant uh, wheat and corn on the uh, and on, on, on vast territories of Ukraine, and then how to rebuild the country, how to get compensations, and all that from Russia. I suppose it's probably uh, that, that's worth underscoring, right? We're talking about grain that was harvested last year. Meanwhile, there's no there's no crops in the fields, um, and that means if, so. Twenty twenty three is going to be a, a wash too, and I, I'm wondering is that message getting through? to Indonesians, you highlighted that uh, you, you think that they're being persuaded. Um, the Russians have been quite successful in, per, in perpetuating a, a narrative that they are against the aggressive yeah, yeah, NATO yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that Ukraine is just one one part of this. Yes. Um, and it is that's gained some sympathy uh, throughout the world and in, in Africa and, and I regret to say in Indonesia as well. Um, how do you break through, or is it already breaking oh, through? Your message, what you're telling us today, like we understand, but what about the Indonesians and how are you getting through? Right. Uh, I'm still doing this uh, every day. So I uh, deliver a lot of messages to the public and I uh, try just, uh, um, you know, uh, there are, as you understand, there are a couple of things we can do here. First, you talk to intellectuals. You you try to you know to, to show them the logics of what is going on, and they quite uh, understand. Uh, they understand a lot. They can you know perceive, analyze, and all that. This is not an an um, uh, uh, difficult task. You also talk to the like middle uh, middle group of people who are who can analyze a bit, but uh, don't care too much and all that. <clears throat> so I give them very simple examples. I give them a very simple. Um, it's very easy, actually, to show how Russia lies to the world. It's very easy. And it starts from the ambassador of, uh, of Russia here. So every word is lies. So you can uh, confirm this. And uh, the it is like Indonesian, uh, including the Indonesian reporters and Indonesian citizens who will um, like um, make the uh, to expose the lies of Russian Federation. So they say, oh, my God, this is really it. Then I talk to the. Of course, I talk a lot to Muslim people uh, to to show them that uh, what, what's going on with Muslim community in Ukraine now and uh, how they spend the Ramadan in Ukraine 
under the shelling and bombings, and uh, uh, they actually know what, what what's going on. And uh, I also explain what happens to Muslim people in Russia, uh, uh, especially like uh, a few years ago during the Chechen wars and all this stuff. You know, all all the, all, all that uh, Muslim people will perceive in a right manner because this is what's going on. I'm I don't need to be prepared well. I just need to tell the truth what's going on. So. It's it's easy, easier for me than for Russian um, ambassador. And the last one is the uh, netizens. So social media is the tough one because people who just uh, use not even not even Instagram but TikTok, you know, they just watch something for ten seconds, say "ura" and then go on. So it gives the impression, and then this impression comes to a so-called understanding. So through impression from one ten seconds TikTok, they get understanding of what's going on in reality. So we counter this. We're trying to 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 fight on this field too, and uh, I think that the uh, situation has changed uh, a lot since uh, the um, uh, beginning of aggression. You know what? Uh, the the true fact is that uh, back in November, I think, the propaganda budget of Russian Federation increased three times. Three times, not thirty percent. Three times. So they've been preparing for that, and they're pushing uh, narratives. And they've, uh, I know that, for example, they uh, employed a huge team of um, media people here in in Jakarta, and they are like uh, cooking narratives and uh, you know like spreading it. And uh, you can trace some some media and uh, some social uh, media channels that really provide a, a, a rubbish. Um, which contradicts everything, like contradicts reality and contradicts the logics and everything. But I think we are, I'm not, I'm not telling anyone that we're winning the battle on the media battle in, in Indonesia, but we've, uh, I think we've, we've, we've achieved something important. So public is, uh, if not, uh, if not uh, extremely positive towards Ukraine, at least it expresses understand, understanding and anticipation. So they hesitate and they uh, would rather keep like neutral, like mm, what's going on? Let's observe. Let's watch what's happening. Uh, that's it. Ambassador, uh, when I look at the Widota's upcoming trip, uh, on the one hand, uh, for these reasons that you mentioned, I'm, I'm hopeful that the president will be able to uh, really experience things firsthand. And after speaking in person with uh, Vladimir Zelensky on one hand, and then speaking in person with Vladimir Putin on the other hand, he'll be able to really draw some very stark contrasts, and that will be constructive and helpful. However, at the same time, I'm worried that China is still calling for a relaxation of economic sanctions on Russia. And I note that Indonesia has been very sensitive to the positions of China. So therefore, my question to you, if you can answer it, is uh, do you share some of this trepidation or worry uh, that Widodo, um, with these various plans that you mentioned that hopefully he will have on board before he goes into Moscow, are you worried that uh, one of them may result in a call by Widodo for relaxing sanctions on Russia? Uh, okay, it, it will be, be my very personal answer. Uh, yeah, so... I think that, uh, again, I repeat this, uh, that I don't think that uh, uh, Indonesia or pre President uh, Joko Widodo will, uh, could be uh, really pressed uh, uh, with, the, with the real results, right, uh, by anyone. 
Um, I don't think that, uh, well, on the contrary, I, I think that if uh, the pressure is made uh, on him, on the government, by anyone, by China, by United States, by European Union, by whoever, whatever, uh, the result will be the opposite. So um, it's not about pushing, it's not about, no, it's not about this. Uh, Indonesia is different uh, from many countries uh, in this region. Uh, as I see it, right, okay, it's, it's different from, from many, really, uh, psychologically, and um, from the point of view of civilization, from civilizational point of view, like uh, having a, uh, a ancient civilization with, uh, you know, all these history traditions and this stuff, I would say that would never be uh, pressed upon. And they, if you want to get the opposite result, just try to press them, and then you'll get the opposite. So it's like uh, this one thing. Uh, as for China, some pressure, I think, may come from the uh, business people here, could be, uh, who have the like huge um, investments in finance and all this stuff and controlling and all that, you know, having uh, the business links with the local uh, businessmen, local government, government people, etc., this might be sort of a channel of uh, not pressure, but advice, uh, do this or that. But finally, I would think that this could not be really instru instrumental in this situation. Uh, China is, is, is a separate one, is separate, always, it's worth discussing for a few hours. But uh, in the present situation, I would think that uh, China would rather follow the stance of telling something aloud but doing, some, doing something uh, different, right? So it's always like this. It, it's always been like that. They, are, they can criticize and, uh, and curse Japan for whatever they are, but still they have a huge turnover and exchanges and investments and all that. They can say whatever they say about the United States, about the threat, about the bad guys in Washington and Pentagon, about the warmongers, whatever they say, but still they have huge trade with Washington. and they. The Chinese don't uh, bother to, uh, you know, to help Russia while they feel the danger of uh, being under sanctions. Uh, so I don't think they will, will, they will risk the, uh, well, China in this situation might risk even the reputation, might be, because of the leadership. Uh, but they would not risk the uh, well-being and prosperity of the people. The reputation can be can be like uh, you know like um, repaired and all that, explained whatever it is. But if the people well-being, if the people fridge is full, is okay. If it's empty, they would go to the streets. I, I know Chinese very well. They can go to the streets immediately, like millions and uh, all, all in one. So nobody would risk this. So I would not ex I would not expect that uh, China will impose any pressure. And uh, uh, as for the sanctions, I don't think that it will be easy uh, for Indonesia to impose sanctions on Russia. But I don't think that Indonesia would risk not following the sanctions because this will risk uh, would put uh, this this will endanger Indonesia itself. Like you start doing something that is under U.S. sanctions, you'll automatically be under U.S. sanctions. It's like, they would not risk this. It's obvious, it's, it's logical, because, because I think the main reason here is like what we say in Ukraine. Uh, uh, I don't think Indonesia is pro-Russian, pro-China, pro-America, pro-Europe, 
Indonesia is pro-Indonesia. So what they care is Indonesia. Is Indonesia well-being? People are, are, are happy. Uh, everything is good. Everything is developing, moving, etc. So what they really think about is uh, the what was going. How this is going to influence Indonesia? This will be the main reason for all the decisions. You know, they are not following. I think that I'm trying. They are trying to lead, and they are leading in some processes, and uh, that's why they will not be like uh, you know. What would they say? Oh my God! No, it will be the uh, conscious decision based on the on the public opinion. I think. Should President Widodo invite Putin to the G20? What's your views on that? And uh, I suppose President Zelensky just can't come. Uh, I know. I know that he's invited. As a result, should maybe both be asked to stay away? Right. Uh, <laughs> it's not a question whether invite or not, because they were invited already. So uh, the invitation are issued, and the again the public opinion here is. Uh, and uh, the government, like public and government opinion, are the same. That we are uh, presiding in G20. It's about peace and security, and uh, you know, economy, no, uh, economical security. I mean, all that stuff, all good things for all good against all bad, against all evil, right? So, the um, all countries must be invited. There is no mechanism we can uninvite or just you know ban someone to come to the to the summit. There's no mechanism on that. So we just invited everyone. It's okay. And, uh, you know, like, uh, if you don't want to come, you just don't come. But we are trying to be fair. We're trying to be, like, um, balanced and all this stuff. But President Zelensky uh, expressed himself very clearly that he would like to, uh, but it will definitely depend uh, on the situation in Ukraine. If he has to be with people, he will be with people and will speak on online. But if the situation, I mean, it's still like four months. It's still like a long time to go. We had four months, nearly four months of war now. And uh, I do understand that situation, oh, just four months, 24th of uh, July. So uh, the situation changed so dramatically. And it was so against all the plans. And it was so against all the declarations and expectations of the world. I cannot predict what will happen next month. I would say that uh, the, uh, like a month ago, I said that wait for the end of June and then wait for the end of uh, uh, end of June, beginning of July and end of August, beginning of September. Let's wait for these two points. We are coming very close to the, you know, I don't know why, but at that time I didn't know about the visit whatsoever, but I really have something I would not tell you about, but that uh, will let me think that something might be a very important might happen in the end of uh, June, beginning of July. Well, you, you can tell us. We won't tell anyone. Sorry? No, no, no. I mean, no. I, I, no, no, no. All the listeners have top secret clearance. No, I'm, no, so no, you, no. You can tell us. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, there are too many factors that uh, came together, plus intuition, plus experience, plus all that stuff. Uh, I really, uh, I, I told this even two months ago that end of June will be crucial and end of August will be crucial on some points. So let's wait. Let's see. And uh, it's not about, it's not about like uh, whoever. Visits why? why is end of June and the end of August crucial, Ambassador? Okay. It will be uh, related to maybe two factors. Mm. Uh, the weapons we can receive. Okay. Uh, so the uh, ability of Ukrainian army will 
will grow, uh, will extend. And uh, uh, this is something that uh, the guys don't even expect. They don't. They cannot imagine what can be going on now. Second, the uh, motivation of Russian army is dropping down. Uh, yes, they are becoming desperate, and uh, this is an important factor because if we say about the long war, it could be it could last for years. O okay, yes, I agree with that because they have like millions of ammunition, but in terms of morality and uh, motivation, um, mm. it, what what I really feel it, what might happen a retreat running just running because they 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 are they are um, i mean they are orcs right but uh, the the point here is they don't want to die either they don't want to die if they understand they can rape they can kill they can murder uh, they can uh, like rope it's fine they are happy but when they understand that they will die all of them will die like in this land they will run it's not about Russian army to 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 you know to resist and fight for no, yeah. So understanding might come uh, beginning of July, and uh, what I mentioned after this might 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 happen in the end of August. And, and when when we see the uh, efficacy of the weapons and uh, the fighting um, after that, it, it might change the dynamics of the yes. uh, of the war. Yes. I understand. Yes, that's why we we were still four months away from uh, from G20 summit in Bali. Anything can happen, so we just let's wait. I think the decision will be taken end of September, end of September, maybe beginning of, of of October, whether Zelensky will come or not. As for Putin, um, honestly, I ask me, ninety nine percent he would not go because uh, he he's not brave enough to leave the country and cross the half of the world on the plane. I can't imagine this. You know, I cannot imagine this. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you won't miss it. Okay, uh, let's, let's see. Let's see. First of all, no, no. first one is really like uh, the guy, uh, I, I don't care if he's ill or not, but uh, the guy should cross the half of the world, you know, and it, it, not, not all the countries are happy about his politics and, uh, you know, all the stuff. I, I would not risk, if I were him, I would not risk leaving his country on the plane, no. And the second, you know, the guy I I know him from the um, from the from my friends. Uh, one of one of my teacher and friends now now, now is uh, unfortunately passed away last year, and uh, he he met him many times uh, in uh, like in, in, in during the negotiations in previous days, like before before the first war like eight years ago. And he said the guy he cannot stand being humiliated. He cannot stand. So when he comes, let's imagine he comes to this uh, to this uh, uh, Bali and all that. Okay, half of the delegation will be like pointing fingers on him and just not giving hands and just turning. If not leaving the the the, the hall or not attending, just turning his back, and that is something he cannot stand. He wants to be the you know generalissimus, like ooh, I'm an emperor, like Bonapartus with the, all this gold and all this stuff. He won't be like this, even surrounded by his minions. But if he sees the, you know, like, uh, I, I just, uh, I feel disgusting to, to shake hands with him, there will be humiliation. He would not go. Uh, it's my perception. Let's see what happens. If he doesn't die before this, anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, in the, in the 
Last few minutes, are there any details you can uh, give us about the visit to Kiev? Are there, are there any sort of uh, you know logistics or, or details that uh, about the, the dates or the timing? Or the... No, 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 okay. no, 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 my dear friend, because that was agreed. Uh, it was just you know they declared that uh, it will happen, uh, and then no details on the timing because of security reasons. So um, it will be uh, it will be safe. There's, so there's there's no specific date. It's just so, the end of the month. It's like uh, uh, it's it's cooking still. So uh, yeah, is I think it will be it will be good that nobody knows the date. You know, it really, <laughs> and the roots and all this stuff. It's 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 uh, the safer the better. I would not because you know the the, the guy can just launch missiles and everywhere. What, what what he really did when uh, UN Secretary General visited Kiev, he was just sitting talking, then uh, sh some shots, two or three missiles hit. The ob civilian objects in Kiev, and the guy was like, "Oh my God, what is he trying to show us?" I mean, he knows I'm here, and he's still fighting, shooting, shelling Kiev. That's why, uh, yeah, we would rather not risk it. And uh, well, speaking of risk, how, how is your family? Are they safe? Uh, 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 no, nobody's safe in Ukraine. They live there in a, in, a, in a town near near Kiev, uh, like 40 kilometers from from the from the city. And uh, till now, there no no much offense off offenses, no much attacks, and uh, no bombings at least. There were only like uh, sporadic. Uh, well, the, the missile was hit, uh, was uh, shot down, uh, like two kilometers from our house in the in the uh, intercepted by the air defense a few days ago. So yeah, they they can hear like they they can hear the the um, windows and the the, the glasses shaking, but not in the near near and then you know they walk the dogs in the forest and the the the, the mines everywhere they say mines 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 and people are patrolling so that's uh, nervous and uh, it's like uh, you know everything but my 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 wife and elder daughter and mother are in in there but my two teenage kids are here so at least uh, they they don't they don't uh, worry too much about the, the youngest you know well, Ambassador Harmiana, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, let's hope that what you're going through these days is not going to last too much longer and that uh, there's a, uh, a positive resolution to all this before long. And uh, our thoughts are with you and this work that you're doing. And uh, we uh, look forward to being in touch. Thank you, gentlemen. It was great talking to you. And I hope that we'll uh, find the opportunity to, to, to have a glass of tea or coffee somewhere nearby in Jakarta. That will be great. I'll, I'll appreciate it very much. Be my guest. And that's the pod. Thanks so much to Ambassador Vasil Hamianan for joining. Our editing and sound engineering is done by Stephen Handoko. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. For a free trial of Kevin's Reformasi weekly newsletter, go to reformasi.info. And if you're listening to us through a podcast app, please hit subscribe and share us on social media. Tell all your friends. It would be a huge, huge help. As always, you can reach us at hello at onthelevel.id. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.